Hello, everybody. Welcome back to One Left. Uh, my name is JJ Keller. And this is Adam Robinson. How's everybody doing this Friday? Uh, so today we kind of want to do something that we think doesn't happen enough, but is is really important, and that's kind of critiquing our own our own size, our own beliefs, uh, maybe our own candidates. Um, you know, we're we're so tribal, uh, especially in politics, but really in in everything, um, that there are times where we, you know, are, are go to such lengths to defend you know our own side that you know we may not even believe it ourselves. We just feel like we have to always defend ourselves and and our you know our team. Um, and always criticize, you know, the other team, um, and and you know, there's there's always fault in in everyone and every every belief. Um, so we think it's just maybe valuable to to think about the things that our own, you know, our own party or our own kind of segment of the party um, can do differently, the, the faults we have and where we need to improve. Um, so I'll probably be going, coming at this from. You know, a little bit the the further left, kind of the Bernie Sanders wing. Uh, Adam might talk a little bit more about kind of the more moderate wing. Yeah, the co- the Connor um, Lamb wing, as I call it now. Yeah, I'm rebranding our yeah, side. So We're no longer the Hillary Clinton side. We're the Connor Lamb side. I think that I think, I think right. that attracts more people than Hillary Clinton. So. Yeah. Uh, so Adam, why don't you go ahead and, and get started? What's what's one thing you want to critique your own side? Yeah, about? Yeah, kind of just what I just said basically uh, is what I think a lot of moderate, you know, Democrats are looking at is that it's time for us to uh, get some younger folks involved, and I, I think there's been a flirtation a bit with Joe Biden by the moderate Dems. He's a safe pick. Um, he's experienced, uh, but I think what we're seeing in the shifts in demographics and uh, frankly, the thirst for newer voices and newer politicians. Um, Hillary Clinton was probably uh, indicative of that trend. Uh, great experience. I think a really um, flawed candidate, however. And with time and age, it's really easy for you know this quick news cycle and for um, the right especially, but even maybe for the right to to embolden even the far left to demonize some of these uh, establishment uh, Democrats. uh, And Joe Biden is clearly establishment. And I think there's an ability for us to have moderate Dems like a Connor Lamb and even a Doug Jones. He has age, but he hasn't been in federal politics uh, until becoming a senator. He was a U.S. attorney um, where we need fresh people into politics. I don't think we need to bring back in people who have been here for decades. The world is changing. The millennials are starting to gain control and supplant themselves as managers in the corporate world. They're larger than the baby boomers. Right behind that is a very, very vocal Generation Z, as you can see by the, uh, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas kids who are social media savvy. And so they need a hero. They need a new person that they can latch on to. And my generation, at the age of you know, 26 years old, where I'm, you know, out of college, got my first job, we were attracted to the young, dynamic Barack Obama. He really energized us uh, and, and really was a great answer, you know, to the, to the establishment Republican hell that we lived under George Bush. And so, you know, I think that we need that again. And there's a lot of good guys out there and gals, there's, you know, that haven't been here that long that are in the more moderate division um, so I hope what we champion those folks and give them a voice. I love Pelosi. Uh, she's a skilled uh, 
you know, politician. She's a skilled legal scholar. She understands how things work. I like Chuck Schumer, but let's be honest is, uh, you know, are the millennials going to get excited about a Schumer? No, they're not going to get excited about that stuff. So moderates need to understand that. And I think where, where the left, the farther left has really worked on this more is kind of embrace that younger voice. Um, don't lose the talent that's out there, you know, and I, and I think that's pretty indicative here in Texas where, you know, the moderate Dems are really kind of giving the Lauren Mosers over down there in Houston and up here, the Lindsey Fagan, who, who won our primary and is running against uh, Michael Burgess in the 26th district for House of Representatives. You know, we should be the DCC and that moderate side should be embracing those young voices. Yeah, they're a little more left, but I don't think they're as left as we think they are when you get to know them. And we need, uh, as we've said, as every episode, we need to take that moderate side and even that farther left and let's listen to each other because I think we'll find that we're really all on the same page for the most part. And I think we can navigate the conversation of let's run local candidates who can win where they're at. And that, that doesn't need to be defined per se. Um, and so, you know, that's why I think the Connor Lambs and the Doug Joneses did so well. They were perfect candidates for their area, but they also weren't establishment. They were able to attract some of those Republicans who were tired of, of their party or people who were independents. And, and those independents were more likely to say, okay, hey, he's not uber left and uber left isn't really for our town, but I, I sort of like that union mentality, that working for the worker, standing up for rights and, you know, uh, all of those things, I'll take a chance on them. And so I think that's why Connor Lamb won. Um, Doug Jones is running against a pedophile, but I think those are some of the reasons that he won too. So I think I like to critique the moderate and say, don't disenfranchise the young voices and the inexperienced and automatically put them as some sort of justice, justice Democrat or Uber left who's just you know, out to socialize the Democratic Party. That's just not true. Right. Yeah, and I think you made a good point that, that kind of the further left has done a better job of, of opening up to these new voices. But at the same time, you know, our, our figurehead is like a 75-year-old man from Vermont, you know. like <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's a danger in that as well that, you know, there certainly are, you know, more and more people joining the movement. Ro Khanna is a congressman from California who I'm a big fan of. Um, Pramila Jayapal is from kind of my area and around the, around the Seattle area. She's very progressive. Um, you know, and there's other progressives running all around the country, but you know, they're just kind of now getting started. And so there's going to be time, um, you know, they might have to see if they can move up to the Senate. And then eventually, you know, we're talking about potential presidential futures, but for now we, we really are kind of rallying around a, a pretty old guy. So I think that's kind of a danger for us as well. Um, and I think along with that, there are so many people who, you know, just kind of started getting engaged in politics, maybe because of Bernie. Um, and so there's there's a little bit of a kind of an idolatry going on of him. It's kind of it's in some ways reminds me of the way people think about Trump. Um, and that's not to compare Bernie to Trump, but the, the way people will always kind of defend him. Um, and their their beliefs seem to just kind of be whatever he says, and there's not much thinking for themselves. And look, I, I agree with Bernie on a lot of things, but you know I'm also willing to criticize him for some things. Like you know when Obama made a bunch of money for a speech a few months ago, Bernie said something about it. I thought that was a stupid thing. You know I don't see how it hurts Obama to make money. Um, you know so there, but 
so I think we have to be careful of, you know, not not attaching ourselves to a single candidate, but rather to these, you know, ideas and policies and movements. Um, and so I guess that's that's kind of the first thing I'm talking about is, you know, uh, embracing kind of the same things you said um, of of you know thinking about the ideas and not just a single person. Realizing this movement it has to be bigger than Bernie. It is bigger than Bernie. Um, you know, if if someone else um, doesn't come along and kind of take the reins, um, especially if he doesn't run in 2020 or doesn't win in 2020, um, you know, this movement has to continue. You know, the next in line might be someone like Elizabeth Warren, but she's not super young either. Um, so I think that's that's kind of a concern I have is is moving this this movement forward and not just relying on you know a 75 year old man. Um, yeah, so that's I guess the first one for me. Yeah, you know, and I, uh, you know, I just got out of question. You know, will will Bernie continue to be that main voice for the for the far left? You know. Um, all the way up until 2020. I just don't know. And, and I think whether it's the far left or the moderates, you know, we've got to start, you know, I think you said it perfectly. And, and we don't want to get into the, the cult of personality. I think what makes the Democratic Party so or will make it so successful in the future and where we have an opportunity is we do have an opportunity to have a big tent and be super diverse and be a party of ideas where we don't always agree with each other, but we can collaborate and compromise within our own party and come to, you know, some consensus of, of what we want to see. But it starts with a, a vision and a unified vision. And I don't know how that happens. There's going to be some, there's going to be some raw years here, I think. But as we get closer um, to 2020, I think it will be closer to healed. And I've already felt it as we go into the midterms, I think the primaries are behind us and there's uh, some pockets around the country where, you know, especially in Houston, where, where some folks feel like the Dems have crapped on them. But uh, for the most part, it feels like we're super unified. And, and I think that where we've won special elections, it has become a great thing to see that when we win those special elections, that the candidates themselves and those teams aren't making it about a run against Trump because we can't just be unified and be an anti-Trump party. Um, the GOP is going to try and brand us as that and say that's all we got. But those two guys in those parties were successful because they didn't you know, make it about Trump. They made it about the people. And when you, you would see the media try to go both of them into asking a question about Trump. Is this a response to Trump? And Connor Lamb's first interview – the next morning, he wouldn't have any of it. He said, this is about the people of the 18th district that I want to represent. And if we can continue to make it about the people, and that's the message, that matters still. That is what matters. Um, and so I think, you know, for us, us moderate Democrats, we've got to listen to the far left. And we've got to give them an opportunity to hear their voices and bring them in and say, hey, what are your ideas? I love that idea. But remind each other that what are the ideas and what do the people in your district care about and address that and you can't go wrong. And that's why I think and I don't know what Cynthia Nixon's party is up in New York for governor, but the New Yorkers care about that damn subway for some reason. And and yeah. that's what she's talking about. And if you care about a talk about the issues uh, and I hope you know something about it and you can actually govern 
on an issue, not just talk about it, then you typically get the votes. Case in point, the freaking fact that we have Donald Trump as president. The guy could talk to the issues pretty good, and so can the GOP. They're beautiful at talking points, um, and that's pretty easy to do if you think about it, if you can stick to it and stay disciplined. But they're pretty horrible at governing. That's the truth. And so we have to, at the same time, if, if the moderate dims and the uh, you know want to want to be successful, they can't just not allow other voices to run. They've got to let them run and bring in those ideas so we can govern together. Otherwise, we're going to have factions when we do win, and we're going to we're going to be a lot like Mike Cernovich today, who's like. <laughs> you know, he said GOP White House, GOP House, GOP Senate, and we still funded Planned Parenthood. Why did that happen? Because the G, the regular GOP, the GOP itself has two different parties within its own wing. And what's occurring is that in order to get things like the omnibus bill passed, and nobody wants to shut down the government, especially as we track closer to those midterms, nobody wants that on their head. Um they can't get enough of their own Republican votes to pass it without Dem votes. So then they have to appease them. And if we want to make true progress, we have to be able to have a, a big tent party that can attract a lot of voters. But we have to also be able to fold in ideas of the more progressive party and adopt them as a shared plan. So when we do govern and we want to start doing things like, you know, subsidies for college or uh, improve health care or help dis, you know, uh, help get rid of gerrymandering or appoint the right judges or pass great bills that address the dreamers or whatever it is, that we can do that without katowing to a minority Republican House like the Republicans are having to do now. So we better learn from what's going on there and bring in, in, in the far left. Absolutely. And I mean, it's the same thing for, for kind of my wing. There's, and we've talked about this before, the, the all or nothing mentality that, that some of them have. Um, I think it's, it's incredibly dangerous. Um, you know, I, look, I, I want people to stand up for, for what they believe in and to push for what they believe in. Um, but there are a lot of people who they want everything. And if they don't get it, then they're willing to um, essentially accept nothing. Um, you know, so I brought up Elizabeth Warren earlier. There are a lot of people, you know, kind of among the, the Bernie supporters who no longer really like her because she endorsed Hillary instead of Bernie. Um, and, you know, she was before that she was, you know, progressives liked her. She's progressive. She, she wants single payer. She wants to hold the banks accountable. Um, you know, it's her, she has that kind of message that, you know, the, that the game is rigged. That's what she likes to say. So it's very much a populist progressive you know, uh, idea that she's pushing forward, but because she didn't perfectly fall in line, there are people who, you know, have kind of shunned her. Um, and I think the biggest problem is that people seem unable to separate, uh, primaries from general elections. And I don't know why that is, you know, I'm, I'm totally fine with having primaries where people are, are, you know, duking it out and we have, you know, everyone putting forward their ideas. We have a progressive versus a, a more establishment and I'm even okay. I've kind of moved on this a little bit. I'm okay with primarying, you know, Joe Manchin or something like that. Um, you know, there is some risk that, you know, if, if he loses in the primary to a more progressive candidate, that, that, that candidate then loses to a Republican in the general. Um, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm fine with 
the, the primaries being where we have our, our kind of battle of ideas. But from there, we have to be willing to to work together and you know take small steps where we can. Um, and so that's that's kind of the biggest the biggest issue I have is that you know, and, and I brought up I think on our last episode about um, Kamala Harris is now you know she's for single payer and and fifteen dollar minimum wage and all these other progressive things that Bernie kind of pushed for. But people still don't like her, you know. There's, there's, they keep raising the bar of what people have to do to meet their their goal, um, and I just, I just think that that's that signals a kind of ideological, um, like rigidity that they, they don't really want to. They don't. There's, there's less of a concern about the actual policy and more about just kind of defending their side. So you know, people like Harris can can be for all these policies. Um, you know, Gillibrand and Booker can. Um, you know, say they're not going to take as much corporate money or whatever. I don't know exactly what they said, but they said something about um, regarding um, you know how they're funded. These are things that that progressives wanted, and yet they still aren't willing to accept these people when they when they make these changes. So um, there's kind of just this this rigidity, and and you know they keep raising the bar. I think we have to be consistent. We have to you know it's fine to ask for certain things and and to want people to be. You know, to work for the people and to have these progressive policies, but you know, we have to then accept these people when they when they make those changes, and not again, kind of, it's it's this kind of all or nothing mentality, Bernie or bust mentality. That even when people do what we say they what we say we want them to do, it's still not good enough. Uh, and I think that's probably the single biggest issue. Yeah, on, man, we got to be kind of adults, side of the um, and I hope we all are, and we can't go back to our primal you know, basic instincts, you know, the democratic party is full of nuance, right? We're supposed to be high cognitive thinkers and, uh, you know, we're supposed to welcome, uh, ideas and we can have dichotomy and, you know, we need to teach, uh, young folks that it's okay to challenge, but when, and it's good to challenge, but that you can't challenge to the death of yourself. Because uh, then all you are is just an angry, resentful person at the end of the day. But I, but I can tell you that we have to embrace challenge even more. Um, we have to be very appreciative of the of the movement and the ability to create a broad coalition by speaking to the people and by creating a vision. And we got to go back out there. And this is what Bernie killed on. And Trump did it pretty damn well. Is he out hustled? They out hustled Clinton. Clinton had name recognition. She had a lot of that going for her, her experience. You know, she'd been around. She uh, obviously was a first lady. So, you know, she was kind of a, uh, she'd run before in a hotly contested primary with Barack Obama in 2008. So I think a lot of people knew who she was, but at the same time, I think she took that for granted. And, you know, that's why a lot of startups, you know, are able to disrupt huge industries very easily because industries become complacent. They say, oh, you know, we have such great market share. There's no way we're too big to fail. You know, and Sears is, you know, been knocked off off the throne um, because of the Internet and because of their inability to adapt and their complacency. Fun fact, by the way, for the audience, Sears at one point had a uh, larger share of the United States GDP than Amazon has ever had. So that is how far that giants can fall. 
people say Amazon is so massive and they're too big to fail, but the reality is they don't have as much of a percentage of the GDP as Sears ever did. And Sears is basically gone. It'll be fully bankrupt probably by 2019, if not this year. And so what I mean by that is that we can't go out there. If you're a Joe Manchin or even an established Democrat, like a Booker, Booker's kind of, he's been around for a little bit now. Um, but, you know, the, the, the incumbent has always got to be, uh, you know, fighting off uh, the startup candidate as well. And Barack Obama was able to break through and create that following uh, because he didn't have the curse of experience behind him. He was a junior senator, but he was able to convey a vision. And I think the perfect example of a Democrat out here who is been around um, and is known a little bit here in Texas, uh, but is, is still not taking it for granted and just using straight hustle and grit, that's Beto O'Rourke. He's visiting every single county all the time and getting out there to the people. And we have to, as moderate, moderate Dems, we can't act like Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is trying to use the airwaves and his cult of personality, and I hope he gets taken down so hard because of that arrogance. And Clinton had that sort of arrogance about her. Um, but if we don't have arrogance on the moderate side and we embrace our left brothers and sisters who are better than us, and we listen to their ideas because they're pretty passionate and pretty damn smart too. And we continue to hustle. Um, then I and and we you know we kind of listen to those younger voices and bring them into the fold. And uh, then I then I think that the Democratic Party is going to be better off for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that's that's the biggest overall takeaway from from probably both of our sides is you know. Uh, being willing to work together and, and be open. Um, and I think, you know, I, I worry a little bit about uh, kind of my side getting even worse in this regard. Um, you know, I said on our last episode that the the majority of Bernie supporters voted for, for Hillary, um, you know, and a larger percentage of her 2008 supporters defected to McCain than Bernie supporters did to Trump. But I worry sometimes that that's going to continue to grow as we go forward, um, and that's especially true if the DNC, uh, you know, does other shady things going forward. Um, you know, I think people will probably be fed up with that and and want you know more transparency and openness. Um, but I think, you know, if it's one thing if the DNC does does do that and they do push a candidate um, and they continue to kind of uh, shun the left then I can see why people would be angry. But, you know, if the DNC allows, you know, open primaries and, and then just supports whoever wins from there, you know, I, I, I see people, I have, I've asked people online, you know, what happens if Bernie runs in 2020 and it's a totally fair election and, it, and it's all open and the DNC is not, you know, pushing Biden or Harris or whoever it is and he still loses, you know, how do you react? What are you going to do? And there's, some that, that say that they still aren't going to support that that person. Um, and so, you know, the excuse of, well, the DNC rigged it, so why should I help them? That's gone. And they still, you know, they still aren't willing to to kind of swallow their pride. And, yeah, and I'll tell you what, you know, candidate. I always say, um, um, you know, to a lot of these folks, if, if we don't have uh, at least a dim in here, would you rather have a GOP voting for absolutely nothing you like about or care? 
So you let us, you know, you have to be willing to to concede that, you know, maybe because some people were about like this with uh, with Connor Lamb that were on the far, far left. They're like, oh, you know, he loves guns. And I'm like, yeah, but he's going to, you know, make a Democrat speaker of the House <laughs> unless you vote for the GOP. Imagine that scenario, one one off and you didn't vote for Connor Lamb because he's in favor of guns. But 80, 85 percent of everything else you agree with. You'd rather go for the GOP guy. Come on. Give me a break. Right. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, I think part this kind of leads in, I guess, to my to my last critique is I think there's there's a level of overconfidence uh, on the far left. I see a lot of people who say that who want to act like moving left and and kind of embracing Bernie is a magic pill that's going to save the Democratic Party and we're never going to lose again. And that's I mean, I'm exaggerating, obviously, but I think that they exaggerate sometimes, too, Um, you know, and they point to polls that say, well, you know, Medicare for all polls at 50% for the country and 80% for Democrats. Well, yeah, but then there's another one where if you phrase it differently and say like, you know, a, a government run healthcare plan, that polls more like 35% because they don't like the sound of that as much as they like Medicare for all. So, you know, there's, they, they'll kind of tout the polls that make them look good and ignore the other ones. You know, I saw a poll from, I think, um, I can't remember where it's from. Um, but it's it's you know there's been plenty of polls that say Bernie is like the most popular politician. There's another one that says that they were asked, "Would you be likely to vote for him in 2020?" And he's that under he, he his the people who said no outweighed the people who said yes. I think it was like 45 to 50 or something like that. So you know people might like him. They might you know think he's a straight shooter. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to vote for him. And I don't think that means we shouldn't support him if he runs. I don't think that means he shouldn't run. But I think we have to be honest and realize that, you know, there are a lot of people who are, you know, more moderate than than I am and than other people on the left. Um, and that, you know, it's just because we like something and just because it gets us energized doesn't mean it's going to get everyone energized. Um, and there are faults and we have to be aware of those faults. And it doesn't help us to be overconfident. You know, there's there's no benefit to that. Uh, you know, all it does is maybe make us feel better, but you know, then it can make us complacent or, or we make assumptions and then we end up losing. Um, and so I think we have to be, you know, aware that some of these things are going to take time. They're not as popular as we'd like them to be. I mean, I do think that I would, I would imagine that the majority or at least a roughly 50% of the country would be okay with, um, you know, a single payer system. I'm sure the majority of Democrats are, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a slam dunk. It doesn't mean that you know, everyone is going to want to vote for Bernie. If that, if, if everyone was as progressive as some people say, you know, Bernie would be president, you know, and, and whatever the DNC did wouldn't have mattered. You know, he would have won anyway. Uh, you know, people like Connor Lamb wouldn't be winning as much if he'd be, you know, it would be a more progressive person instead. You know, Doug Jones wouldn't have been the, the wouldn't have won. It would have been a more progressive person. You know, Ralph, Ralph Northam wouldn't have won Virginia. It would have been Tom Periello who was more progressive, you know, so it shows that there's, there's nuance to it. depends on the district. It depends on the state. Um, you know, and so there are some places where progressives can probably win and, and we can make gains. There's other places where it's, it's obvious to me that they're not exceedingly popular. That doesn't mean they shouldn't run. That doesn't mean we shouldn't continue to push for them. We have to understand that, you know, like you said earlier, the, the Democratic Party is a big tent. Um, and what works in, you know, California and L.A., is or Seattle or whatever is not the same as what works in, you know, working class white Pennsylvania or 
Michigan or, you know, West Virginia or whatever. Um, and so I think that that overconfidence really bothers me. And I think it, if anything, it's just going to hurt us. Um, and we're not going to see the reality and, and, you know, know that we have faults that we need to work on. Um, you know, if, if, you know, Bernie runs and loses and it's a fair election, I'm going to be disappointed, but you know, it's, it's going to show that I'm simply in the, in the minority in my party and that's fine. I have to, I have more work to do, but you know, it, it kind of, you know, the people rail against the DNC for, for favoring Hillary, but it seems like they almost want the DNC to favor Bernie in 2020. Like they want them to, to, to push him. Uh, so there's a hypocrisy there that I think, you know, if, if the DNC stays out and Bernie loses, then he loses. You know, he's not as popular as we hoped. If he, if they stay out and he wins, yeah. then great. Yeah, but I just think we have to be honest well, with ourselves. At the end of the day, like I, um, I feel like the Democratic Party's awake. Uh, I'd like to thank Donald Trump for that, to be honest. Uh, I'd like to thank Bernie Sanders, and I'd like to thank uh, Hillary Clinton <laughs> losing. Um, so imagine if those three things didn't happen. Would there be as many talented up-and-coming democratic people running for office probably not would we have this podcast probably not um but at the at the end of the day um i am excited about the future of our party uh i see my kids being democrats not because i will brainwash them but because i think the democratic party can become the party of the people and the heart of america once again um, and that the GOP has a long road back to being a party that anybody respects. Um, I, I hate to say it, but these young Generation Z folks who are very social media friendly, let's say 16 to about your age or so, JJ, are, you know, are really watching a lot of influencers. My kids watch a lot of YouTube and they're attracted to personalities, um, individuals. And that's kind of how they think. They put trust in influencers. And if you have influencers like Selena Gomez and Taylor Swift, who both just donated to March for Lives, being a part of this movement, um, and it is uh, probably in dire contrast to a lot of what the Republicans stand for, we better get ready for that as a party and be willing to accept those ideas and accept a lot of different ideas. So. That's going to be my challenge to the to the moderates is stop crapping on new ideas and stop taking it for granted because um, they have a lot of good things to say and we should be thankful that they're disrupting our thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think we're about 30, 30 minutes in now. Um, so uh, I think that was a pretty good episode. I think maybe going forward we'll – Maybe get into specific issues. We've been talking a lot about kind of the, the bigger party problems, um, but I think it'd be valuable to, to get into specific issues and yeah, where we'd like it. to go on there. Uh, so thanks for joining me again, Adam. It's been good. All right, and we'll see you guys next time.